I keep seeing all these articles about what coffee does to your body, why you shouldn't drink so much coffee, what drinking too much coffee does to your body. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. No, you just need good coffee. Yeah, where do I get that? Hacienda Real in Costa Rica. It's one of my favorite places to go. Yeah, every time we go to Costa Rica, we stop in on Vlad and, and see the operation. It's this beautiful little artisanal roastery roasting a custom blend of Arabica and pea berry beans. It's so yummy. It's really good. And the coolest thing is when you order it, you pick exactly what roast you want, whether you want it to be whole bean or ground. And within a day, maybe two of your order, it's roasted, packed, and shipped. Yeah. It's not roasted until you order it. Yeah. Like the last order I made, I made it on Monday. The coffee showed up on Friday. Yeah. It's so great. With with a roast date of Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Click the link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Use the offer code. And use the offer code and get a great deal on some amazing coffee. And don't let people tell you how much coffee you can drink. So I love fall. Me too. But one of the things I like least about fall is I got to start wearing shoes again. (laughs) Because you know I'm happiest barefoot or maybe wearing some sandals. That is true. But I feel like a complete weirdo when I wear shoes without socks. So fall for me is time to start getting some socks. Yes. And for me, it's time to get some underwear. Time to hit up smart ass undies. Yeah, they're amazing. They're made from sustainable recycled materials and they have motivational words across the bum. Yeah. And I like it on the socks too. Today I'm wearing my courage socks. Tomorrow I'm wearing my respect socks and gratitude socks, all that kind of stuff. Integrity socks. Integrity socks. So I love that. And you look down and it gives you a goal for the day. There you go. Hashtag feet goals. (laughs) So again, check the link in our show notes and there's an offer code in the show notes as well. So you guys can get some amazing socks and underwear and save a bit of money and support the show at the same time. good one today i'm excited <laughs> we have a very special guest today we do who's our guest today Beatrice? our guest today is dr james b stein he has a phd from is it dixie university I believe it is dixie university in utah yeah, so that's where I'm currently a professor, although we are changing the name of the university it's going to be utah tech university starting july 1st oh, oh yeah. is there a reason for yeah. that yep and it's exactly what you think it is <laughs> <laughs> I I love that. All right. So you're an assistant professor there currently, and you have a PhD in interpersonal communication. And Mm -hmm. currently you have two main programs of research. The first is the ways in which the social networks of couples generate uncertainty and or influence the nature of that relationship. So you, so can you explain that a little bit? What, what does that mean in the real world? Yeah. So the the way that I try and describe it to people like in my elevator speech is like, if you're familiar with Romeo and Juliet, which I'm sure we all are, my primary program of research explores what would happen if they didn't kill themselves. (laughs) And if they tried to like actually make a relationship work with the Montagues and the Capulets kind of like getting in the way of their, of their relationship. I think that's the fastest way that I could explain it. Yeah. Elevator pitch. We're familiar with Yeah, we are familiar with <laughs> <a little bit. laughs> <laughs> The and I, I think that's that's really interesting and some of the topics that I want we want to 
cover with you today, I think that comes in quite a bit when with some of the, I'm going to use the term kindly, characters that, that are going to come up in our conversation today. That, that is something that is cited quite often. The other focus of your research is exploring how non-romantic sexual relationships and experiences function. And can you explain that a little bit? What's that, what's that about? Yeah, so that's just a fancy way of saying friends with benefits relationships. We, we move away from that term because people really don't care for it and it doesn't fully encapsulate the nature of the relationship. It, it oversimplifies the nature of the relationship. But yeah, pretty much friends with benefits relationships. That mm-hmm. is the primary research area of my former dissertation chair. Mm-hmm. And so I've kind of like remained as like, like a secondary or like a tertiary author on his research projects. And uh we need to get that rebooted because we were onto some really cool stuff and mm. you know, his work got in the way and my work got in the way. And so we're, we're working on getting that back, back up and running. So you're moving towards the term non-romantic relationship rather than friends with benefits relationship. The thing that I have found about these people is that they hate any sort of label. So it doesn't matter what you call it. They're going <laughs> to be like, no, well, it's not quite that. It's, it, it's something different, you know? So we just, you know, it, it is what it is. Casual, Maybe non-monogamous, maybe monogamous, maybe committed, maybe not committed. There's too many different ways to qualify it at this point. Well, one of the reasons we're so interested to talk to you is because we're in a non-traditional relationship. We talk a lot about non-traditional relationships on the podcast. And Mm -hmm. so we often have a very different take on some of the sensitivities that people have within those, whatever the term they want to use for that relationship setup that they've got. Or the social media, we use social media very differently in a non-traditional relationship than, you know, a strictly monogamous couple might and some of the problems that that creates in a, in a long-term relationship. So, so that's been sure. kind of interesting. I'm really excited to have you on the show because I, you know, our listeners already know I'm an avid fan of TikTok and I came across your account, which is insanely popular. I, you're one of my favorite <laughs> But every time you come up in my in my algorithm, I'm like, yes, I can't wait. And we are uh, just outside Toronto. So we're super familiar with Jordan Peterson. And so okay. one of my one of one of my recent faves is your series on Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. It was just point after point after point. We were like, yes, yes, yes. Oh God, yes, yeah, but, yes. But it's yes. not just point, point, point. It's point reference, yes, point, point citation. Yeah. Like you brought the receipts. To, to every video that you bring when I don't have TikTok, but B curates a feed for me. So when we are together, I go through and there are three TikTokers uh, that come up and you're one of my favorite ones of those, of those three. Um, and Drew Afualo. Drew, Drew Afualo. And I like Good Trouble and as Good well. Trouble. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll say this about, you know, I am merely just one of Drew's lowly uh, middle management demons. <laughs> I I handle her business when she's a little bit too busy. <laughs> oh um, yeah, and yeah, and good good trouble. He and I actually had like a little bit of a skirmish where uh, you know it's it's unimportant, but uh, you know he does good stuff. He does really really good stuff. Yeah, I follow him. Let's put it that way. Yeah, he's got yeah. some good takes. He's got some good takes. <laughs> but it's always nice like, when I, when I see a Juicifer video come up. I'm like, oh, what's this going to be? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so. One of the things, oh, and and also you mentioned in one of your videos, I think recently, the uh, Sounds Like a Cult podcast. Mm, yes. And that, and that was something that that's a podcast that I just recently started started listening to. So it was sort of like 
serendipity where I was like, oh my gosh, all these pieces are coming together. I got to, I got to reach out and get you on the show. So, and they, they do a very good job. I listened to the, the Instagram therapist one. So shout out to, to those podcasters. They do a great job of talking about some of the kind of modern day cults. I just listened to the one on the cult of CrossFit and being, that's a very good one. Yeah. It was, you it know was, what? Just, so I'm sorry. I don't mean, no, 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 go just, ahead. No, just yesterday they released one, the cult of toxic relationships. I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, well, I'm go. very excited for it. Yeah, very excited. That, yeah, that, that's in my queue as well. Yeah, it should be. It's mm-hmm. interesting because there, there's a lot of things that we just kind of take as part of the cultural zeitgeist, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they, they pull it apart and they do a good job of that. And so that was another one of your videos that I appreciated was that duet that you did with that social media therapist with the TikTok <laughs> therapist. It was just like, oh, no, just it was just. It was a, a, a savage little little take there. So we've done a few shows deconstructing the Manosphere and some of the major players in that realm. And I understand that the algorithms are going to show you more of what you're interested in. But I've been noticing a little more of a disturbing trend lately is that there seems to be an increasing number of these manosphere guys, red pill guys, incel guys, alpha male guys with podcasts. And they just seem to be coming up with more and more ridiculous shit to say. It's so ridiculous. I feel like they must be trolling us (laughs) with some of the nonsense that like the guy that was talking about how women, it it is difficult for women to work out but it's harder for men because gravity works different on oh, men. yeah because they're actually working against the gravity of the earth yeah and I, right i don't know if you've seen that yet it's yeah it's- so you know i don't i don't want to promote them that's good bro bad bro i follow all these people like they are all yeah. in like a little list on my phone <laughs> and if i'm ever running if i'm ever running low on content i look at oh, well, what are those two idiots up to and, then I do get, <laughs> and it's it's always worse than i thought it was gonna be um <laughs> Can, yeah, can, you, they are, can you comment on what's happening? What's happening? They're, it's so bad. Like these guys, like <sighs> dudes wearing a bullet around his, a, like a cartridge around his neck. And, you know, I know that this isn't a video podcast, but both Dante and Dr. Stein both have, or James both have fantastic beards compared to this patchy motherfucker. That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> so if that's any indication of masculinity, let there it is right there. Can you speak to maybe what is giving rise to that? Yeah, I, I think that, and I don't want to, I don't want to blame TikTok, but when the algorithm is designed in such a way that a person with zero followers can get a million views, like I'll tell you a story, my girlfriend, from her shit account on TikTok posted one video ever and it got two and a half million views. When the, when the algorithm operates, I know, right? And that was before I ever had a video that cracked a million. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah. So when the algorithm operates in that way, it does two things. It emboldens people and it, allows the void to scream back at itself. And so what ends up happening is I'm going to, you know, be maybe be a little controversial here and say that this is arguably a good thing because what we're seeing is we're seeing these men tell on themselves and they were always going to have those thoughts. Their followers were always good. Nothing, nothing that they say is new or original. These are all thoughts that they've all got. 
there's a few heads of the dragon that I wish we could cut off. I think about Jordan Peterson. I think about Kevin Samuels. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a, a few of those guys. We get rid of them, and the dominoes will fall. But most of these dudes are just so uninspiring, and so tired, and so lazy that it's just like you know. Of course, like the same pool of several million men, you know, parsed out through several tens of thousands, they're going to follow these people, right? And so I don't think it's necessarily. It, it, it's almost like to be to bring it to like a different place. It's almost like police brutality. People are like, why is police brutality so bad in 2022? And it's like, it's always been bad. It's just now everyone's recording it on their phones. Right. And our phones have high quality. So it can look professional. And when you combine that professionality with controversial, problematic takes that people will either watch because they like or watch because they hate, it's going to boost engagement. So I think that's kind of why we're seeing it explode, especially in the post-pandemic era. And you think it's a good thing because it exposes the ridiculousness of what they're saying. And then people have the opportunity to respond in an intelligent manner and and make them look stupid or call out how silly those kinds of takes are. Is that, is that why you think it's a good thing? Cause it just brings it all out in the open and, and people can, people like you and, and Drew and, and I don't know, there's, there's quite a few others that are, that are just making them look silly. Yeah. And so like, you know, from a persuasion standpoint, you're not going to turn too many of their followers. These folks are going to feel this way until they have like, either they mature, they have some sort of like grand introspection, but whether or not these podcasters or these influencers were around, we would still have a huge problem with toxic masculinity. It's just that now you can literally go look at who's following them and be like, you're a problem, you're a problem, you're a problem, you're a problem. (laughs) You can identify these folks. So that they're, they're, you know, exposing themselves, they're telling on themselves and that creates an environment where one, like, yeah, I can, I can hop on TikTok and humiliate any amount of men. But I think also very importantly, what gets forgotten about is that at least for me in my niche, we're talking about women who have been experiencing the after effects of these problematic outlooks in terms of like their, their lived experience, in terms of violence, in terms of prejudice. And at the very least, at the very least, I do feel like I can provide a space amongst many of the other creators where these folks can finally feel like validated and supported. And that like, you know, I was being gaslit. I knew it like that sort of environment, which is the one that I hope to curate in my space. I think that's one of the things that I appreciate the most. And I know you do too, because Dante is a doctor of anthropology and the last couple of years has been super frustrating with a lot of disinformation, a lot of people just literally talking out their assholes and him going, where's your source? Where's your citation? Where is your, and it, and, and I know that you've appreciated this too, that to have, you know, these sources that are listed as you go, literally something that you could pause your video and look up. And I'm using giant air bunnies to do your research. But I, and I think that's really important for people to understand that you have backup here and there is precedent because a lot of these guys, I think my recent, one of my recent favorites was the pit bull looking motherfucker. I don't know what his name is, but you, or he, oh, there's no pay with matriarchs. We need, you know, and, and you called him a bitch and it was just the best thing ever. I, it was like my favorite thing to have over coffee. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that I don't know that guy's name, but I think that when these 
when these guys get a hold of a microphone and just decide to start talking without knowing anything, there's no kind of academic background, there's no background in anthropology, in evolutionary psychology, nothing. Just this is just my experience. And like you were saying, they just tell on themselves and they tell themselves in a way that obviously their experience is informing their their commentary, but it's not based on anything except that's how you get treated when you're a giant douche nozzle. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you know, there's, it's one thing to spew toxic bullshit, right? W- which a lot of these men do, but then it's like a completely different thing to say that same bullshit and accompany it with the catch all of like study show or yeah. <laughs> biology. Right. And I'm like, well, no, it's not. The studies don't show that. And if they did, you'd be able to provide a research, you know, any sort of resource or, or citation to support your argument. And, and to that end, what's really interesting is like recently, because I've been fortunate enough to experience growth, I'm now getting the attention of these men. Whereas before I was a, a blip on their radar. Now I'm, I'm, I'm a problem for some of these guys, mm-hmm. because what happens is people watch my video and then I'm not going to report these guys, but I'm not going to tell my folks not to do it or not to get up in their comments and say, hey, you got dragged by that one guy. Did <laughs> you got anything to say about that? So now they're starting to notice me. And when they get cornered, they absolutely flounder. And what you see is they get more and more and more extreme with the same tactics of like gaslighting and attempting to use disinformation. And I try so hard to explain to these guys, I'm like, you're trying to gaslight the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Like I am, I've said it in my videos, like I am far too educated and far too privileged to be gaslit. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. And so they say things they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're pulling these studies out of your ass. And I'm like, I'm pulling these studies out of Google Scholar. Like <laughs> where, where are the... Where are the resources in, in the book that, and they've all written a book, right? So like, where are the resources in your book, your self-published book that has 400 typos before you get to chapter one? Like where, <laughs> where are all of your citations? And they never have an answer for that. They, all they can say is that like, you know, I'm right. You know, I'm right. And that works for your echo chamber, but it doesn't work when, you're, when you encounter a legitimate expert in the field that you claim to be an expert in and they can't handle that. And it makes their brain glitch. And it's one of my favorite things. (laughs) That's awesome. I I recently looked up a list of, because there were a lot of podcasts that I jumped on over the several lockdowns we've had here in Ontario. And, (laughs) and one of them is, it's a little bit different now, but when Michael Hobbs was still on, you're wrong about, I don't know if you've ever listened to that podcast. No, never. It's great. They, they started out their original format was to look at like, scandals and things from the 90s and 2000s and kind of go back and really look at what the real story was versus what the media told us at the time. It's really, Uh, they're both investigators is really interesting. And uh, he does another podcast now with Aubrey Gordon called Maintenance Phase and they debunk a lot of like wellness stuff and and diet Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of stuff. And he would talk a lot about a lot of cognitive biases and fallacies and and I looked up a list of them one time and it was astonishing <laughs> the list of how th- the different ways in which our brains lie to us or give us the wrong information. And I think one of the things that I think a lot of people make the mistake with is the idea of intuitive thinking, that if it feels right to you, it must be right. Trust your gut. Mm-hmm. Trust your gut. And, and I, think, right. I think that's what a lot of these guys 
that's where they're making a mistake. And when you talk about that echo chamber, when you have this intuitive thinking, well, this is what I feel is right. So it must be right. Not even thinking about all the cognitive biases that you're laboring under. And then you're sitting in an echo chamber where everybody's going, yeah, man, that's fucking right. These fucking bitches. And then you're stuck in there until somebody like you comes in and disrupts all of that. And that's Mm -hmm. where that anger and vitriol comes from because they don't want anybody to disrupt that shit. Right. So, right. But it's, but it's important work. It's important work that you're doing. Yeah. I think about, have you ever, have you ever made mozzarella cheese like from scratch? I know the process, but I've not made it from scratch. First of all, it's very easy and you should, but there's this one part in the process where you have to get the curd and the whey up to this very specific temperature. And then what you do is you take your knife and you so very gently cut a grid pattern into the, the curd, which is in a big old pot. And what happens is the first cut is like clean. And then the second cut moves everything around. The third cut moves everything. By the time you're making like the eighth cut, which is like the final cut, you have this like giant destructive mess of highly delicate, extremely white <laughs> cheese. And so <laughs> I think about, I think about masculinity uh, and like specifically like white patriarchy, like mozzarella cheese, where if you make one incision, you're just one more away from disrupting the entire thing. And when that happens, then you eventually got like this beautiful ball of malleable cheese that you can serve on crackers with some fruit. It's a great analogy. And also I'm hungry again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, can you tell I haven't eaten dinner? (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm so glad that you haven't because we wouldn't have that beautiful analogy. (laughs) Um, Don't don't forget the red wine. Fragile white. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That describes so many. I think, how can you be 17 and dig your heels in so deep to this already? Right? Yeah, that's, that's the scary part because with young white men and boys, it is, first of all, you're raised in such a way that the, the programming starts when you're an infant, right? Especially if you grow up middle class or upper middle class, right? If you grow up in, in those areas, you are taught to believe in this thing called American exceptionalism. And it just so happens that American exceptionalism is directly tied to the patriarchy and it's directly tied to whiteness. And so, you know, these young men and boys, they spend their whole life only looking up to white men as role models. And like, you know, you can appreciate as a young kid, you can appreciate the things that women and people of color are doing and still really only have idols who look like you. And that's by design. It's it's supposed to be like that for them so that they get to the point where when you try and push back, when you try and say, hey, you know, still really only have idols who look like you. And that's by design. It's it's supposed to be like that for them so that they get to the point where when you try and push back, when you try and say, hey, you know, you ever think that like maybe society is designed for you at the expense of others? They say, well, that can't be. Because if that were true, I would be a bad person. In reality, you're not a bad person until you start the denial process, like until you openly admit that you're willing to completely discount the, the lived truths of other groups, that's when you become a douchebag. But until then, you're just ignorant and you can learn and you can be taught. And that's, I think, what, that's what I try to do on, on TikTok. I try to deliver the messages to young men that I believe I needed to hear when I was a young man. So can I ask what... What changed for you to bring you here? Yeah, well, it was, I mean, it was gradual. I, the biggest change for me was leaving my hometown. 
I, I moved to a different place and I had to meet a bunch of new people. And they taught me that the things that I had learned were incorrect. And when I resisted, they showed me through historical documentation, through demonstrable scholarly research, that not only was I wrong about so many of my misconceptions, but that the reason that I'm wrong about those misconceptions is because essentially there's a program that is designed to lead people to be to reaching those misrepresented conclusions. And so when I saw that, I first said, okay, I'll, you know what, I, I, I do need to adjust my opinion on, on these issues. And then as that happened, and this is over a period of several years, by the way, close to a decade of introspection. And eventually I got to the point where I got really angry about the fact that this is happening all across the country and even across the world. And I said, I, what, I need to do something that leverages my privilege to, to help this change. And so I can do that in the classroom as a professor. And then I can put on a different hat and I can do it on TikTok as a knowledge demon. I love that. <laughs> knowledge demon. <laughs> and and it, it's such a great platform for you because you can get to your point in a, a short period of time. It's a bite-sized piece. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing and you can just throw it out and people and you're, you're really good at just getting right to it and throwing your sources up and then, okay, have a good day. And people can come back tomorrow for the next, for the next piece of knowledge. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah. (laughs) So we watched something else we want to talk to you about. We watched the Tinder swindler the other night. Mm -hmm. Did you watch it? It's on my queue. I I have not watched it, but I am quite familiar with it for obvious reasons. Okay. And, and the way things come together and the way the Manosphere uses certain programs and certain popular culture to further their, their agenda and to further their, their points, mm-hmm. I was noticing on, we did one episode on, I don't know if you're familiar with Rolo Tomasi. He's the rational male. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So on his Instagram, there were three different posts about the Tinder swindler and essentially showing this guy. And, and if, I mean, we're not going to ruin it for everybody, but people have probably heard about it by now. This, this guy was just, he had a, an elaborate scheme set up where he was bilking women for millions of dollars. And it was basically set up like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Pre- pre- pretending mm-hmm. to be a billionaire. Pretending to be a, a, like, a an, like an heir, an heir to a, a diamond corporation like he was a billionaire son blah 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 it was completely elaborately like really well done faked but the way they the way that Rolo Tomasi was was using the image of the tinder swindler was basically you know a photo of him sitting at a table you know in a beautiful restaurant with a glass of wine and saying you know when she really loves you she'll take out a $20,000 loan for you and the idea <laughs> that this is this is what genuine burning desire looks like and mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. just with some of the informal conversations that I have, even with other women, they'll say, I had a couple of my friends say, I started watching it and I couldn't watch it because the women were so stupid. And I just I just had to shut it down. And it's actually even more upsetting when you when I bump up against internalized misogyny from other women. And it's like it's infiltrating mm-hmm. the women, too. And it was heartbreaking to watch. Mm-hmm this doc 
and what actually happens and how well crafted that whole scam was to play exactly into some of the best traits about these, these women and, Mm -hmm. and to have these manosphere guys like use it as, you know, if, if this, this guy's like the best player ever. Yeah. It never ceases to amaze me how they can take something and find a way to make it look like exactly what they've been saying all along. Like there's your, there's your source for what I've been saying right there. Yeah. Remove the con part. We would be talking about one of the most prolific players of all time. And they've got him with his like gull wing Ferrari or is that a Ferrari? Mm -hmm. Lambo. Lambo. Sorry. See, I don't even know. Aren't you happy about that? (laughs) I can't tell the difference. (laughs) Right. The the whole thing, it it was the same thing that came up when the 50 shades of gray movies came out where it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, you add millions and millions of dollars and guys can do whatever the fuck they want. And then they'll just go along with it. But if this guy was just a regular guy like you and me, she wouldn't have time for you. Right. Like that. Mm. And it just adds more fuel to the fire. Can you speak to that a little bit about where that where that comes from? And maybe Mm -hmm. even what accounts for the internalized misogyny of the women that are consuming this media as well? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it's a very complicated issue. I really don't like the Tinder swindler story. Uh, And it's not because, you know, it's I mean, obviously, it's a gross story about a horrible person. But what it's done is much in the way that you all described it, it's resulted in these men, right? Not just saying like, oh, man, he's the player of the year, because that's what some people are saying, which is obviously a shitty take. But in my opinion, the worst take is the men who are saying, you see that guy? That guy's an asshole. He's an ass. He's so bad, man. I'm not like that. I'm just, look, all I believe in is traditional relationships. Mm-hmm. And so they use him. They juxtapose themselves to him. And they say, look, I, hey, I'm not going out here swindling women for millions of dollars. I just believe that, you know, and then something absolutely terrible. And so they hold this dude in comparison to themselves to make their views seem less radical, which usually does not work for women, but it does work for men because you got to remember for these quote unquote influencers without miserable men, they have no livelihood. They have no money. They, they do not profit. They do not get any of the attention that they want so badly. So they, their priority is to keep men single and not just single, but single and miserable. Mm-hmm. That's their, that is their goal. They want sad, vulnerable men who will pay them money. And yep. so I find it ironic because in many ways, they're just a, a, a less successful version of the Tinder swindler. Right. <laughs> they're, they're goading people out of money. The only difference is they're not goading women out of money. They're goading men out of money. Many more men on a much smaller scale per man. While they raise above that, hey, look, a bar somebody left on the floor. Yeah. Let me let me yeah. above that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that the internalized misogyny and I always feel uncomfortable speaking about internalized misogyny because I've never experienced it because I'm not a woman, but like, (laughs) I I brought it up. So (laughs) I'm a woman usually. (laughs) I think that a lot of this comes from the idea of enacting feminist principles or rejecting things like patriarchy or toxic masculinity within the confines of patriarchy and toxic masculinity. And so it, it becomes a situation where you're like, well, those women are dumb and I am a smart woman. I would never let a man scam me. But the problem is that the system is designed 
to make it easier for that man to scam you. So maybe, maybe you, maybe you as an individual would never get scammed. But when you when you take such a hyper individualistic approach, you miss the the forest for the trees. You miss the part where it is happening. And so rather than getting mad at the perpetrator, you get mad at the victim. And this is actually something that's been happening on TikTok with some very large creators. It came to light that you know there was this creator. He's a man. He is of great influence. And it turned out that he was sexually coercing women into having unprotected sex with him while simultaneously claiming that he was in a series of monogamous relationships with each of them. Now, there's something to be said about the women who then spoke out. There's a lot to be said about like the power of like a white woman's tears and how that could potentially put men of color in danger. And I understand and respect that. At the same time, he's still engaged in this manipulative, coercive behavior. And what we're seeing is that there are creators of color who are justifiably worried about his well-being now attacking these women who were victimized by the man in question. And I think this speaks to like the very delicate knot that we weave when we talk about things like patriarchy, white, right next to things like whiteness. In my opinion, whiteness always beats patriarchy, but there's so much overlap that it, they, they can and should be talked about separately, but they also need to be talked about together. And that's why on my side of TikTok, shit is a mess. Because nobody knows exactly what to do or which side to take or how to respond to the outpour of information that's that's going on, myself included. Mm-hmm. That that kind of reminds me. It's it's. I understand your the idea of like, oh my god, it's such a mess. I'm currently watching. <laughs> I'm kind of waiting for you, but I'd never watch anything if I waited for you all the time. We don't live together, <laughs> so, so we have we have times that we're together and times when we're apart, and that's the time to watch stuff. And I know, right, but I can't, stuff I can't, together. I know, but I'm I'm out of I'm out of stuff. But anyways, so I've been watching There's lots of murder shows I know, and cult shows. I, I know. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I I'm um, <laughs> I'm in the throes of we need to talk about Cosby. It's a docu series on Crave. Oh yeah, I've I'm yet to watch that. I will. It's just I I get the feeling it's going to be a lot. You yeah. know what? I just like a lot of the things where whiteness and domestic abuse and sexual assault and patriarchy and misogyny and fame and all those things in, overlap. Like you know the O.J. Simpson docu series. Just like it was the same kind of feeling where I can only watch about 15, 20 minutes at a time. And then I have right. to step back from it because it's really difficult because and and it's so well done because you can see the distress that people are in talking about it, where here's someone that did so much for people of color in entertainment, in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. while at the same time telling on himself for decades and it was an open secret what he was doing and it's it's absolutely heartbreaking to watch because you see people that looked up to him for a long time and idolized him and with the education po- standpoint all of that stuff it's just it's really really difficult to watch i'm old enough to remember fat albert on saturday morning oh, shit, yeah me too yeah <laughs> He's like, I do not. But anyway, <laughs> I think I think that I, I bring that up because it that must be the the same kind of oh my god, my end of TikTok is a mess because people are are left going. But wait, I thought what do, what do we do right. with this? What are we? Yeah, that it's such a great point and it's so difficult. But I think it's really important to have those conversations because it needs to be untangled somehow, and we need to we need to be able to to come up with 
how do we fix this? How do we deal with this? So, right. And we did, oh, we were talking to Dr. Wednesday Martin, who's written, she's written a book on female sexual desire and looking at non-traditional relationships and, and evolutionary psychology and, and monogamy and, and all of that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. we talked to her about how women vote and why, how many women voted for Trump in 2016 and even more women voted in 2020. And we were, mm-hmm. what's that about? And she talked yeah. about the idea of safety and the idea yeah. of, you know, whiteness comes, like you were saying, comes before patriarchy. And that, yeah. that, right? So that's another example of, of those things where they don't make intuitive sense. Like, why would, why would a demographic of people like that vote for somebody that is against pretty much all of their interests? Like, it doesn't yeah. make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. I, so, well, Donald Trump is like the perfect exemplification of the like historic historical perspective on persuasion. There are theories like, for example, the elastic capacity model and the elaboration likelihood model that tell us that when people process messages, they do it in one of two different ways. They either do it heuristically or they do it critically. And when we do it heuristically, we're just kind of like looking or listening for like super basic, superficial things that we can latch onto. And with Donald Trump, he's the ultimate example of that, right? Because if you're just like the average American voter, what is he? Rich, playboy, entrepreneur, successful, television star. He speaks his mind, right? These are just things, these are buzzwords that initially attract you. And then something very interesting happens because we have finite cognitive energy. And so what eventually happens is we get to the point where we just accept. I I accept you as a credible source, Donald J. Trump. And then what happens is we pair that with a confirmation bias Mm. and a predisposition to dissonance, because those are are two things that people are, are, are tend to gravitate toward. And then what happens is we still have that mental energy, right? And so we're ready to engage in critical thought. But what happens is we direct our critical thought rather than unpacking the message that's being delivered to us, by this obvious swindler, we then direct all that critical thought, all that processing energy to people who are against us. And so we would rather spend that energy defending our already existing position than unpacking and pulling apart our position. And so it's interesting because people always ask the question like, well, how could so many people do this? And the answer is actually quite theoretical, but the persuasion literature covers it pretty nicely. So I, you know, I like, I try not to talk about that too much because it's a little on the nerdy side, but it is a (laughs) fascinating phenomenon to explore. But the problem is how do you then like deprogram an entire country? How do you deprogram 75 million people? And the answer is you don't. There's not, the the only thing to do is wait for this shit storm to explode on itself and trust and believe that out of those 75 million, you're going to get a large portion of them who kind of see the light. The midterms will probably tell us, you know, in the States, the midterms will tell us a lot about the international view of this sort of extreme right-wing populism. I'm not super optimistic, but more optimistic than I was in 2019. So there's that. Hmm. There you go. There's some good news. <laughs> well, yeah. <I> mean- <laughs> You know, we're 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 up up here yeah. up here north of the wall. We're bracing for the midterms, just anxiously yeah. going, what's what's going to go on down there? Well, because I mean, traditionally the midterms tend to go against the incumbent president, right? So yes. 
There's yes. probably going to be some ground gains by the Republicans in the midterms. And it's whether, like, what are they going to be able to do with that and how that's going to shake out? And also what the temperature of the voters are, you know, how dissatisfied are they with, with the current state of affairs and whether or not Fox News and all the, all the Republican politicians have been successful in trying to influence what's going to happen in 2022 and 2024. So, yeah. And people would think that this doesn't have anything to do with our original conversation, but I would argue that, that the rise of Trumpism has given a lot of room. It makes room for these men to speak a lot more freely than they would have, I think, given a, a different cultural climate. And so when people say, Oh, you know, it's, he's just silly. Don't, you know, people shouldn't take that too right. seriously. As a woman, I take that shit very seriously because it's changed. It's changed the climate and what people are comfortable expressing and what people are comfortable, you know, saying to other people. Mm -hmm. Like it's 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 really quite something. We make the little joke all the time about living above the meth lab, <laughs> right? It's it feels things, like that things are going to float. Things are going to waft upwards, right? And and yeah. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if you heard about our our little occupation in Ottawa. Oh yeah. For, oh yeah. The convoy. Like, yes. The co freedom convoy. Yeah. I heard it arrived in D.C. and they were kind of mad that the Ukraine stole their thunder a little bit. So well, the, 12, <laughs> the 12 people that showed up for the rally the in D.C., people, yeah. Yeah, they were upset about that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, the problem with the extremism is people always ask, where does it come from? And obviously it's not something that happens overnight. It is something it's, it's, it's part of a pipeline. And that's why I take such exception to people like Jordan Peterson, because Jordan Peterson presents himself as an academic. He presents himself as learned. He presents himself as objective. And he certainly was a learned academic who poisoned his own well on purpose. And he did it. He did it for wealth and fame. And he got both of those things, which is very unfortunate yeah. because it teaches, it teaches other people that, that you can do this too and that you can be successful just by being a strategically ambiguous right-wing zealot. And what he does is he, what's the word I'm looking for? He weaponizes the credibility of something like having a PhD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting too, because, and this is one of the, maybe the most fascinating phenomenon that I find. When I post videos about Jordan Peterson, which I haven't done in a while, I probably owe him another video. <laughs> But when I do that, the fanboys, they come out of the woodwork. Of course they do, right? And one of the things that they always say to me is they say, you could never debate him. You, could, you, you don't stand up to him. You, you're not qualified in the way that he's qualified. Bitch, we have the same degree. Yep. And then, well, you know, he's so much more experienced. Oh, is he? Who has more peer-reviewed publications since 2018, me or him? Who has taught more classes since 2018, me or him? Because I know you're not counting anything before 2018 because that's when I graduated grad school. Right. So if you're talking about what have you done for me lately, <laughs> the only thing that he's done for anybody lately is take their money to go debate a bunch of college freshmen. And that's it. that is a humiliating, pathetic way to live your life. Mm -hmm. And if you look at him in like 2022, he looks drained. Not just yeah. because of his health complications, but because it's probably exhausting being the thing that you were taught for your whole life not to be and yeah. that you know better than to be. And, and you know, that, that eats away at your soul and at your heart. 
And so that's why I take exception to him. But what, sorry, I rambled a bit there. What really kills me is when it's, it's when they immediate, and I'll bring this up all the time. I'll say, why is it? Tell me why it is that you're so quick to question my credentials, to question the research that I have provided explicitly, and to question the methods that I use to communicate my message. And you don't have any of those questions for him ever. You've never once questioned any of those things for him. You tell me why that is. Is it because you agreed with him before he started talking? Is it because he, his credibility, his visual credibility is better than mine because he's got the salt and pepper thing going on and he looks more experienced? Are you really critically processing what he's saying or are you relying on heuristics? And that question has never received an answer, ever. It's either they stop engaging with me or they change the subject. I've never gotten an answer to that one. Because, because their answer would be their best answer would be well he was on rogan yeah that would be their best answer the other not the flex that you think it is no exactly (laughs) exactly. especially (laughs) not lately but yeah there's another podcast conspirituality and i don't know if Mm. it's so so good and one of the guys is from toronto and was it that one or was it the decoding the gurus where they were talking about nobel prize syndrome uh, I think that was, that was on spirituality. Okay. And so it, it kind of speaks to what you were talking about when people with legit academic credentials go so wrong and the people that have been believing a bunch of bullshit point to their credentials and go, see, they're, you know, it's like these doctors that are, that are against the COVID. America's frontline doctors. Yeah. <laughs> and right, right, and right. So they, they talked about this is like it's a real phenomenon where you have a Nobel Prize winner who gets gets convinced at some point and starts endorsing some homeopathic treatment. And it's complete bullshit. But because they're a Nobel Prize winner, everybody goes, see, mm-hmm. it, it must work because this Nobel Prize mm-hmm. winner is is endorsing it. And you go, yeah, but right. But they've gone off the rails and nobody has <laughs> seen that happen. And so it, it creates a real problem for people like you. But I think, I think kind of the jig is up on Peterson. Like, I don't know what, what the feeling is yeah. down there, but up he quit his job because he said he was canceled. And it's like, isn't that kind of you quitting you quit. your job? No. I don't think you can be canceled <laughs> if you quit your job. And, and I think that as the, the, the haze starts to clear, I'm kind of holding out hope that cooler heads will prevail and people will start to see the hypocrisy and the kind of confirmation bias. And that's, I think that's the toughest one for people is confirmation really bias. Is. that and proportionality bias, especially with what's been going on the last couple of years. I think that's mm-hmm. a real one for people too. like big, big, huge things require big, huge explanations. And sometimes oftentimes we're Occam razor people. Mm. <laughs> I was about to say Occam's razor. Yeah. 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 That's such a hard concept to teach people. I have in my own family, family members who are, you know, we're super pro Trump, even though we're Canadian and our COVID <laughs> is bogus and the vaccine is killing people. And, Eyeballs and, deep in QAnon. And, yeah, massive QAnon sort of supporters. And I try to bring these concepts up about, you know, proportionality bias and confirmation mm-hmm. bias mm-hmm. and Occam's razor. I'm like, these are things that are taught to people who studied you know, when you when you are creating a hypothesis or you're designing a study, there are, there are, there are things that you do to try to keep your bias out of it because you will search. Right. You can take any data set and manipulate it, theirs being a perfect example, and, oh, yeah. and, make it, and make it do whatever you want. But if you're not qualified to understand 
what the data is telling you or to analyze it properly. Uh, I'll give you an example. Somebody in my Facebook feed today, another one of these, you know, anti-COVID restriction, anti-mask mandates, all this sort of stuff, posted some registered nurse talking about the Pfizer papers. I don't know if you've, if you've heard of those down oh, there. Yeah, of course. Some disclosure yeah. that was released. And she came out and she was like, sample size of 45,000 participants, 24 stillbirths. 24 stillbirths. Can you believe it? 24 stillbirths. And my first question was, what's the natural rate of stillbirth in the population? Is that higher or lower than what you would expect? Exactly. Thousand people, right? But people don't look right. at it like that. They go, oh my God, that's, that's, that's astounding. It must be because of this vaccine that they received. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, no, you don't need, like, what is that proportion of people who actually received it versus the placebo group? Like, you know, like all of these kinds of things that researchers understand, yeah. the average population is not equipped to deal with that data. And it might sound elitist, but part of the reason we're dealing with all this misinformation is because people are being, smarter people are manipulating people that don't have yes. the ability to see that they're being manipulated or the ability to ask the critical questions in a way that they right. could, they could pull this stuff apart and see what's going on. And, you know, it's been like a four-year battle here trying to do, oh, yeah, trying to deal yeah. with that. But yeah, I'm going to pivot a little bit. Cause we're just, we're getting, we could be here all day. <laughs> Can I ask a little bit about, I'm actually very interested in your research about the effect of social, social media and social media circles on relationships that I, that I read in your bio. Can you tell me a little sure. bit about that? Well, I mean, so right now, what I'm doing is I'm doing research the hard way, which is I'm, I'm trying to write a theory, but it takes a very long time to write a theory. And so it started with, it started with the question of, can people become uncertain about the ways in which the folks surrounding them and their relationship, can we become uncertain about the ways in which those people affect my relationship? Not even does it affect, but can I perceive that maybe it might? And of course, you know, the answer is yes, colloquially, but that's not how we do things in, in research. We, we need to demonstrate, right? And so I, it was basically the long story short is I created a series of measures uh, designed to gauge the, that uncertainty, designed to gauge the amount of interdependence that people feel they share with the members of their network. And now what I'm doing is I've basically got these established measures and I'm applying them to existing theories that up until now have really only focused on like the couple. And so I'm saying, no, look, see, you can, you can take the variables that people use to test these theories or models and you can insert these, what I call extra dyadic, meaning like outside of the dyad, these extra dyadic variables. And they, even when you control for the couple's experience, these extra dyadic variables still have predictive power, still have these moderate to sometimes strong correlations with relationship outcomes. And so I'll tell you what I'm up to now, which is what I'm really excited about. I'm bringing couples into the lab and we're going to have them sit down and answer a series of questions together using something called a duocentric network modeling, where they basically, we ask them, it, it sounds fancy, but it's very simple. We ask them to think about 40 people in their network. And we say, okay, put that into one of three categories, partner A's network, partner B's network, or your shared network. And what we're trying to do here is construct the network of the couple, right? And this just, it, it's been done, but it has not been done in a, in a way that focuses on the causal mechanisms that the social network has on relationship development. And so 
my running hypothesis for the past few years, which I'm hoping to inch closer to with this data collection is do couples change their communication behaviors either when they're around their network members or when they're talking about their network members? And if they do, does that affect the relationship? Hmm. And so I, I hypothesize, yeah, and yes, respectively. Uh, so my, my catchy title is the, for, the, for this theory, which I came up with years ago, is the Dyad Network Accommodation Theory, or DNA, which I think is very catchy. I think it's got, I think it's got legs. <laughs> so, that's, got, that's got Eric Weinstein level of uh, acronism. acronism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's... It's, it's got legs at, and double helixes <laughs> and everything. <It's> like, <laughs> well, yeah. And so the, the point that I'm, the reason that I like went through that long detailed explanation is because in line with what we've been talking about, when you want to theorize about the ways in which a phenomenon works, there are many steps that you need to go through in order to not say that this is the way it works, but just to propose that this might be how it tends to work for, you know, not even maybe the majority, but the plurality of people. But what we find is, what do we find with like these toxic dating coaches, right? It's men are for Mars and women are for Venus and men do it this way because of this and women do it this way because of that. And the oversimplicity is what makes it so easy to debunk the things that they're saying. Because when you talk about things in such simple characterizations, no doubt have there been a dozen studies that tested the exact thing that you're talking about. And most cases, it turns out that either they're dead wrong and the opposite is true, or they're so dramatically misinformed that they were talking about the wrong thing in the first place. Wow. Yeah. I'm curious, and this, this is a little bit, you know, self-serving. Do you ask any questions about the dyad themselves? Like, do you have any couples that are in non-traditional, non-monogamous relationships or are they mostly monogamous couples? Because that would just mm -hmm. anecdotally, non-scientifically, like I would <laughs> imagine that, that would change things when you're, yeah, it, when you're relating with other people, right? In that it network. does. Yeah, absolutely. Have, and I have, a sorry, we have some people in our network no, go ahead. that like we have different relationships with different people in our network. So some people are just regular, let's go out to dinner friends. And then we have other friends where we have dinner and then we have sex after. Mm -hmm. So, or before, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Usually before, we but you would imagine that that changes things. It does, it does. Unfortunately, it's difficult to study non-traditional relationships. Um, it's, and it's especially difficult to get them in the lab for a variety of reasons. Now, I live in Southern Utah where <laughs> those sorts of relationships are not talked about. Mm. Right. So, you know, yeah, we ask them about it, but it's an afterthought, unfortunately. And, you know, right. I have a colleague who studies like non-monogamy and kink relationships and stuff like that. And her data are fascinating. And she lives in Arizona, which is uh, one of, it used to be the largest kink community in the States. It, it, it's, I'm sure it's still up there. Yeah. Shocking, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so, no beat because you got to do something. <laughs> right. Exactly. So the data that are out there are very interesting, but most of those data are qualitative. Hmm. And, and, you know, I'm a quantitative person. So I, I, you know, I like to predict and explain and it would be very difficult for me to access those data. I could do so. I could utilize something like Mechanical Turk to get a hold of more people. I just don't have. Maybe, maybe later on <laughs> down the road after the theory gets written. That's that's my current 
that's where I've got my sights set currently. Yeah. But I, I would love to be a part of a study that that looked at that sort of thing because it would be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure the comparison between between the different relationship models would be really interesting. But if you're trying to tune a model, you need it. You need to base it on something first, and then yeah. you can. I know, I know, I know. It's it's very daunting. It's very yeah, daunting. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing is too is that you know monogamous relationships are easy to define. They're monogamous relationships. There's so many different types of of non traditional and kink relationships that 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 would create a whole other complication in itself. It's just trying to categorize. Like, cause mm-hmm. it, it's sort of like friends with benefits where everybody wants a different name for it and everybody wants a different exactly. category and, and classification. So that, that would be difficult, but you know, I'm very interested to see how that, how that comes out. Yeah. Me too. Me too. It's going to be a, it's going to be several months of data collection. So wish me luck. People, good luck. Good yeah. luck. Yeah. People don't live in a vacuum. Yes. Yes. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That was yeah. awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Like the sun is moving over there and, and the dogs are, <laughs> yeah. the dogs are bored <laughs> and we all need to go and have some cheese, yeah, some fresh cheese. Oh <laughs> yes. I'm ready for some cheese. I am. Yeah. And so is Goose. He heard me say cheese now. Here he is yeah. right here. <laughs> oh. Did somebody say cheese? Did somebody say cheese? Yeah. Somebody said cheese. We really, yeah, but no, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to, I'm always happy to come on. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'll reach out in, in a few months and see where your research is at because that would be really cool. Once once the data is kind of what do you guys what do you people call it when you get your data all squared away? Oh, well, it's all collected and collected and, and, you can and start analyzed. analyzed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. After the analysis is complete. That would be <laughs> yeah. So thank you for thank you for taking the time to be with us today. We, we really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Happy to do it anytime. Thank you, James. Really appreciate it. All right, y'all. Take care. Take care. <laughs> Bye.